Gracious Heavenly Father, we come to you now recognizing that you are in our midst, that you have known that this time has come, that we can come and spend time of praise and spend time in prayer and listening to your word. And Father, we thank you that we can come even now. Father, you know those things that are on our hearts and those things that uh, maybe are a burden, maybe it's different for different ones here in the service today. But Father, we pray that you might be with each one that is here, each one present. And Father, remind us of your goodness and remind us, Father, of the purpose that you have for bringing all people to you and that you continue to be at work even in this fallen world in which we live. We thank you, Father, for all of our police officers, all of our first responders. We thank you, Father, for those who <clears throat> are willing to serve, uh, willing to give life and limb if necessary, Father, in order to give us protection, to help to give us service. And we thank you, Father, for these. We pray particularly for the family of the officer who lost his life this week. Pray, Father, that you may continue to uh, provide your watch, care, and comfort presence in their life. We pray, Father, and we thank you for this country in which we live. We thank you for the freedoms that we have. May we not take them for granted. And Father, we thank you particularly for the freedom that we have to be able to worship you today, to stand without fear that we know that we can proclaim the name of Jesus with much freedom and uh, much confidence. And we thank you for that where that cannot be said and done in every part of the world and, and uh, perhaps even less and less in the world in which we live today than before. But Father, we also thank you for the freedoms that we have in Christ, the true freedom that we have because of who Jesus is. We thank you for the sacrifice of the Son of God who gave his life for us and the fact that he rose again and brought victory over death. And we thank you, Father, we can celebrate that even today. And we thank you that we can gather together in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we pray particularly, Father, for this service and our time together that you might be able to use this to bring encouragement to our lives. Hope, Father, to our, us personally, to our families. And we thank you that we can trust in you and that you can bring uh, certainly the encouragement that we need today to face each day, to thrive, to be able to be influenced on others. And we pray, Father, the things that we do today as we dedicate ourselves, may they be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. It's in the precious name of the Lord Jesus we pray. Amen and amen. We are in uh, Genesis chapter 4. We're going to be reading verses 8 through 16 as we continue uh, to talk about uh, answers for your family found in his word. So far we've talked about how to finish well on Senior Adult Sunday, which I thought was appropriate. Also we've talked about uh, mothers and talked about moms on Mother's Day. Last week we talked about marriage. And today we're talking about sisters and brothers and talking about siblings in the family. But I think we'll find the application, the principles there will be for all people in the family, in the church family, and even beyond. This now is God's Word. Would you stand, if you're able, in honor of the reading of God's Word, Genesis chapter 4 and verse 8. <clears throat> Excuse me, says this, Cain spoke to Abel his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother, Abel, and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground, and now you're cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wonder on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wonder on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, Not so. 
If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. May the Lord bless the reading of His holy word today. And you may be seated. Well, he kind of stuck out like a sore thumb because he came in ponytailed, tattooed, pierced, wearing bikers' colors. Now you understand everyone is invited to church and everyone is welcome. But he stood out a little bit more than most people did. But the church came alongside him and showed him much love and he continued to come back and eventually he became a Christian. He became a believer of the Lord Jesus. Well, people continued to wonder about him for many reasons, but one reason, he always wore long sleeves. No matter what, even in the hottest days of summer, even in outdoor events, he always had long sleeves on. Then he finally told a couple of folks why he always wore long sleeves. He says, because he had a tattoo of a naked lady on his forearm. And he was kind of embarrassed about it. Well, a few weeks later he came and he said, I've got a new tattoo, would you like to see it? Well, a preacher thinks twice when he knows what the other tattoo looks like. But he rolled up his sleeves and he showed... And he said, I had the tattoo artist. You remember that lady, that naked lady I had on my forearm? Said, I had the tattoo artist put clothes on her. (laughs) Well, here this fellow, he bore marks, real marks on his body uh, before he became a believer in the Lord Jesus. And now after he became a believer in the Lord Jesus, now he had other marks on his body as well. After all... All of us have had marks on us, if not physically, then spiritually, of what life was like before without God. But if we're believers in the Lord Jesus, those have been covered over. We have marks or evidence in our lives which have covers over the marks of the past. The story of the first two brothers help us in our journey to find answers for the family. It reminds us once again that when someone falls in temptation and sin but refuses to repent and turn and place their trust in the living God... We know that there are problems for the person and for others. If you remember the fall in Genesis chapter 3, you know that things go from bad to worse as we move to the first sin and now to the first murder. Cain suffers consequences because of his sin. Abel suffers consequences because of the sins of another. Now, in your notes, we're going to refer to several other passages and many of these are passages in the New Testament that talk about Cain and Abel. I don't know if we got everyone, but maybe we did, that talk about Cain and Abel in the New Testament. For instance, uh, 1 John chapter 3 and verse 12. It says, Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one, murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. This is the thrust of our message today. It is, do not be like Cain. We know that God sent him off to wonder In the land of Nod, the scripture says that God placed a mark on him and it was actually a mark of protection that we'll talk more about here in just a moment. But today I want us to examine this scripture a little more closely to see what kinds of marks Cain had on his life which showed that he was not a child of God but he was a sinner in need of repentance. And we do this today to show how our lives are not to reflect a life like Cain but something much better leading to hope and to help for the family. And hopefully today, God's Word and even our service today will leave a godly mark on you. Now, marks. Uh, we're going to talk first of all about marks of Cain or marks of 
children of the world. Marks of Cain are marks of children of the world, meaning sinners who are unrepentant and do not place their trust in Jesus. And the first one is this. It's heartache. Adam and Eve had their firstborn. Genesis 3 is about the first sin. Genesis 4 is about uh, the first son. And because of the events in Genesis 3, sin has entered into the world and man is no longer living in the garden. The consequences of sin are evident. However, because of the grace of God, Genesis 4 opens with great anticipation, albeit it was short-lived. The first human is born naturally. Birth is a big event in most families. Imagine how big it was for the very first time. And if we pay attention to verse 1, we'll notice he is born with a lot of expectations. Verse 1 of Genesis chapter 4 says, Now Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. Then in verse 2, almost as a side note, it says, Then Abel was born. You know that I can identify with Abel a little bit. Much more said about Cain's birth than there is about Abel's birth. But when we went through my mom and dad's house, we found the baby books of me and my three brothers. And the first baby book is my oldest brother. And man, his is slam full of the time of what happened with the birth and what happened when they brought the baby, what brought him home. And there's pictures and there's letters and there's all kinds of things in there. The very first steps that were taken, very first words. A lot of other firsts that I just not care to mention at this time. But it's slam full. And then there's my other older brother. His is about, typically it's about half full as that one is. And then there's mine. And on the first page it says, Jeffrey was born on a Wednesday. And then it's full of blank pages just right after that. <laughs> it may not be actually that bad. But then I have a brother that's 10 years younger than, my, than I am. And though his is like they started all over again. And his is slam full all over again. So I've got... Uh, middle child syndrome. I've got uh, the youngest forgotten child syndrome. I've got the older brother envies the younger baby syndrome. Man, I'm all messed up. But thus very little was said about Abel's birth. It seemed like Abel should have been the one who was the envious one. But for Cain, they recorded the conception, the pregnancy. And at the birth, they write a prayer song. They've not even cleaned him up yet. And they're writing songs about the little guy. In his name, Cain, that name has become synonymous with murder, but it actually means acquired or gift, but it comes from a word that sounds like, well, here he is. Why? Because there was great anticipation and great hopes for him. Now, when our children are born, we often think, we may not say it out loud, but we think, well, now this child could win a Nobel Peace Prize. This child might be the president of the United States one day, this child might cure the, uh, some great disease or maybe even better, this child might play for the Auburn Tigers. You understand? It's all relative, of course. Well, imagine the anticipation that took place here. Adam and Eve had great expectations because in Genesis chapter 3, God has said an offspring of Eve would crush the head of Satan. And here's the first offspring of Eve. They were looking for a redeemer. Only one prophecy had been given so far. This could be him. But not only that, but because of their sin, Adam and Eve deserved death. But because of God's grace, not only were they still alive, but now they were giving birth, they were giving life. And it may be outside of the birth of Mary and Joseph. This may have been the greatest anticipated birth in history. 
And when Cain was born, Eve gives God the credit and says, With God's help, I brought forth a man. First man born naturally. Little did she know that she had just given birth to the one who would introduce premeditated murder to the world. I need to tell you this morning, if you plan to go to sleep anytime during this message today, you might as well go ahead and go to sleep now. Because what's going to happen today is the story that we're telling, the first part of this is going to be a little bit bleak. It's going to get worse before it gets better. And what I don't want you to do is I don't want you to fall asleep at the end of this thing and miss the best part. But if you're hanging with me so far, then you might as well just hang on and we'll just keep going. Already we know something about Cain. His life will be marked by heartache. Cain and Abel had two professions represented, both agricultural. Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain was a tiller of the ground. We know that the first family, though, we know that they were Baptist because we find that one of the first things they do is give an offering. Well, I say that in jest, but God had taught the need for bringing an offering or sacrifice to the Lord. Let make a note in the second service. That's not all that funny, but it probably should be. Verses 3 and 4 says this, In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. The Lord looked with favor on Abel's offering, the first who brought the firstborn of his sheep. He did not look favor on Cain's offering of some of the fruits from the soil. Abel's sacrifice was accepted by God, but Cain's was not. Let's make sure we understand why or why not. Several reasons that may be legitimate. Cain's offering was not the first fruits, perhaps but only of the grain offerings. While Abel, it says very distinctly, that he brought the, very, the firstborn of the flock. Also, Cain's was not a sacrifice, while Abel offered a blood sacrifice. But Hebrews 11 tells us the main reason. Abel, by faith, offered a better sacrifice. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 4 says this, By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous, and when God spoke well of his offering... And by faith, Abel still speaks even though he is dead. If Cain's was not a true sacrifice in the sense that it did not cost him something, it was not the first fruits, it was the result of his not having faith and placing his trust in God. So we learn from the New Testament writers, it was not just what was in his hand, it was, what, it was the condition of his heart. And as we will see, he trusted in his own efforts instead of trusting and loving God, which leads to further heartache. It's one of the marks of an unbeliever. If you're not placing your trust in the Lord, then you're placing your trust in something or someone, or perhaps you're placing your trust in yourself or your own works. And placing your trust in something or anyone but the Lord Jesus Christ, no matter how you feel about it, and even if there's some satisfaction or enjoyment right now, eventually trusting in anything but the Lord Jesus will lead to heartache. So you are invited to place your trust and to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. After all, He is the hope for all eternity, for what's going to happen when this life is over, that we can know that we have a home in heaven because we've placed our trust in Christ our Savior. He's the hope for today, knowing that we have meaning and purpose in life, that the Lord is always at work in us and around us, and we can live with great confidence. He is also the hope for your family. So you want to place your trust 
in Him. If you've not already done so, if you've already done so, then you want to be reminded and remember, yes, this is what I've done. This is why I've placed my trust in Him. And this is why I can trust Him today. But also we find another mark of Cain and the children of this world, and that is hatred. Hatred. We, we realize what happened with the first murder and most crimes of passion today are a process. The Bible talks a lot about this process. It goes from anger to envy to hatred to murder. Verse 5 says that Cain was angry and you could see it in his face. And his anger led to envy. He was jealous of Abel. It led to hate in his heart. That led to murder in his hands. And the murder... It's one of the seven sins that the Lord detests, that He hates, that's listed there in your notes. Of of the seven detestable sins, how many did Cain commit? Well, he committed every one. How about us? Have, Have we committed any of these seven sins? They're listed there before us. How about how about that has to do with haughty eyes? Well, exactly what is that? Well, it means pride, thinking too much about yourself. How about a lying tongue? How about hands that shed innocent blood? We'll get back to that one. How about the heart that devises wicked schemes? Feet that are quick to rush into evil? A false witness that pours out lies. Did you notice lines in there twice? And then number seven, a person who stirs up conflict in the community. How'd you do? Well, most of us have not committed murder. But you remember probably what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. Unbridled anger against someone in the heart or calling someone a fool will be in danger of judgment in the fires of hell. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 15 says, Anyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life in him. Hate is a mark of Cain. It's a mark of the children of this world. Now, Consider Cain's offering again. It doesn't say that it was a bad offering. In fact, maybe it was a good offering. Maybe it was the best fruits and vegetables and beautiful flowers and grains. Maybe he looked at it and said, Look, look at all that I've done. Look at all the things that I'm presenting. Boy, this ought to please God. Do you know every religion besides Christianity, beginning with Cain, has sought to earn their own way instead of trusting in God? But the feeling, if he had a feeling that he had done good, it was quickly gone away. Because we find that then he, when he tried to earn his own way, find that that was rejected by God. Abel's offering was accepted because of what was in his heart. Cain's heart was focused on self. And the result was anger, envy, hatred, and murder. Boy, which should serve as a warning to people who perhaps give only time and tithe to God's church, but they're far away from God. It should turn a warning for uh, the family members who put themselves first and do not consider others before themselves. But notice verse 6. Verse 6, it says that God approached Cain and God knew what was in his heart and gave him a chance to change. God asked Cain, why are you so angry? God knew, but why did he ask? So that he would come clean admit his anger before it grew. Well, God knows your sins. He knows what you've done, but he tells us to confess those sins before him. Why do we do that? So that we might be able to come clean before God, so that we might repent. Then gracious God 
warned him of the temptation that awaits in verse 7. When he tells him there in verse 7, If you do well, you will you not be accepted. If you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, and you must rule over it. We might be reminded of 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8 to where it says, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Satan is a serpent that deceives and a lion that devours. In Genesis chapter 3, you might remember that he was the serpent who came. And now we come to Genesis chapter 4. He's a lion crouching at the door. Remember Ephesians tells us, Be angry, but do not sin. Meaning that the feelings of anger are going to happen. But for anger, or for Cain, anger had turned to hatred. Have you ever heard an angry preacher preach? I mean, every now and then somebody asks me, they'll say, why don't you preach like so-and-so? And they grew up with a red-faced, pulpit-pounding, snarling preacher in the pulpit. And that's kind of what they like, I understand. But my response is almost always the same. I don't think I've ever been that mad. Well, at least not in the pulpit. Now, I've run across some people who perhaps some have other religions and others who are professing Christians even, who seem to be overflowing with anger, overflowing with hatred, pouring out. Do you think there's justifiable anger? We talk about this some on our Wednesday night courses, talking about emotions uh, that we need to control. But sometimes referred to as righteous anger, Cain was furious though and downtrodden, angry and saddened. You know, the, almost the same words are used to describe Jesus at one point. When Jesus had found a man who had a withered hand, he was brought to Jesus and the religious leaders were looking back to see if they were going to break their rules of the Sabbath and he was going to heal the man who had the withered hand on the Lord's day. And he looked around about them and he said, or the Bible tells him, he looked at them with anger and sadness. Almost the same words. But he was not angry because he'd been mistreated or was jealous. He was angry or sad over God's people who had chosen their rituals and their rules over helping people and having compassion. You think Jesus is ever angry and saddened when he looks down at the church and sees the church today. Certainly if we ever use our rules and our rituals instead of having compassion and see those as more important. Do you think Jesus is ever angry or sad as he looks at the family life of believers today? Instead of listening to the warning of God, Cain sought to take things in his own hands and invited his brother into the field seemingly with the intent of taking his life. Cain vented his anger out on his brother. There has to be a better way to vent anger. There are different ways to translate verse 8. The difference is the difference between premeditated murder and manslaughter. We read from the English Standard Version a moment ago in verse 8 where it says, Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. In the King James, it says... And Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass with there in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and slew him. Now I think that what Cain did was premeditated. However, the King James leaves some room for it to be manslaughter. That's still murder. But Cain may have gotten, gone to Abel to tell him how much he hated him. And one thing led to another, and he killed him. You know, we're told in Matthew chapter 5, if we have something against a brother, we're to go and straighten it out. 
were not necessarily to go to a brother or sister in Christ or even to a family member with the intention of telling them how little we think of them. Some people think that means telling how much you hate them. Have you ever had somebody tell you something like, you know, I've never really liked you. You've really bothered me. I can't really stand to be around you. Oh, I'm so glad I've got that off my chest. I feel so much better. But you're going to feel lousy. (laughs) That's not the intent of Matthew chapter 5 and reconciliation. It did not help the person with anger issues either. Here's some biblical ways of dealing with anger issues. And boy, they go a lot further than this. But just to give us some ideas perhaps from the text today, we need to request help from the Holy Spirit with anger and hatred. Request help from the Holy Spirit. Sin is crouching at the door, the Lord told Cain. Let him know that your temptation's about to fall head over heels into something that's not good. Holy Spirit allows us to be able to see the, when temptation comes our way and it gives us a way out. But also, we need to practice showing love to others. Practice showing love, especially to the one you may be angry about. No matter what your feelings are, no matter how you feel about it, no matter what's happening, you can still practice showing love, and that's what we're to do. What's the loving thing to do is what we need to have to decide, and we need to practice doing that. And then we need to learn to forgive. I say learn to forgive because it does not necessarily come naturally for us. It's something we've got to learn. But what does the Bible tell us? Because you have been forgiven, you need to forgive. We find another mark of Cain or mark of the children of this world is hopelessness and despair. Cain attacked Abel and killed him. He did not go to God, but God came to Cain a second time. Note how much grace God gives Cain. Came to him the first time, knowing what was in his heart, warned him of the danger of his anger. And then after he committed the crime, God did not have to go to him at all, but he did. And he offered him another chance to come clean when he asked, where is your brother? God knew, but Cain indeed needed to come clean and say, I've sinned and I'm sorry, please forgive me. But instead, he said, when he's asked, where is your brother? He said, I don't know, liar. (laughs) And then the famous line that reveals heartache, hatred, and hopelessness. Am I my brother's keeper? His unconfessed sin put him under a curse and God drove him from the land. But that wasn't the worst part. Verse 16 says, Cain went away from the Lord's presence into the land of Nod. Nod means the land of wandering. The most hopeless place a person can be is wandering without purpose or meaning, away, separated and away from God. And Cain realizes his hopeless situation and by his response in verse 13 when he says, My punishment is more than I can bear. Still, he's more concerned for himself than what he did to his brother. No sign of remorse and no sign of repentance. It was in the news, not... All that long ago that uh, two men had devised a get-rich-quick scheme. One man started dating a young woman, married her, and took, her out a lar- took out a large insurance policy on her. And either on their honeymoon or right after their honeymoon, pushed her in front of the speeding car that his friend was driving. It didn't take much investigation for the two men to be found out, sentenced to life in prison. Judges' comments at the end of the trial showed his outrage for his lack of remorse of either man. In fact, they had complained that their rights had not had been violated and they had been harassed by the legal system. They received the maximum penalty. Well, 
God did place a real physical mark on Cain. We don't know exactly what that mark was. It had nothing to do with race, or pigmentation of skin, or anything like that, but it's actually a mark of protection. Actually, the mark that was put on was a mark of God's grace. God, Cain felt hopeless. He, he realized there might be more people in the world one day. He might run into some of his relatives or some of Abel's relatives, and someday somebody might want to take vengeance. And God placed a mark on him to protect him, not to mark him as a child of the world or a child of the devil. Heartache, hatred, hopelessness already marked him as that. But you know that these same attributes are the same attributes of all of us before we became believers in the Lord Jesus. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 12 says this, Remember that at that time you were separated from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in this world. So the story of Cain's not a very good one. As I told you, it would not be. In fact, the story of the Bible goes from creation being good and very good in the first two chapters to a family of heartache, hatred, and hopelessness in chapter 3 and 4. These would have been the marks of all the children of this world, all the families of the world, had God not intervened. And the rest of the Bible is about how God provides something much better for you and something much better for your family. While we've talked much about the marks of Cain, we cannot leave this place without talking about God's provision and the marks of Christians and the marks of the children of God. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 10, in the chapter that talks about Cain and Abel, it says, This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God, nor is anyone who does not love his brother. Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God. What did Abel do right? Well, he gave his best to God. In the Old Testament, when it talks about sacrifices and giving, it often talks about giving the first fruits, firstborn or animal without spot or blemish. These are precursors to giving our best to the Lord Jesus. So, church, we're giving notice today. We are not going to give mediocre anymore. We're going to be giving our very best. We're going to develop an environment whereby if we're going to do it, we're going to do it right. We're going to give of our first, give of our best. You'll be represented in our actions and our attitudes in God's church and on His campus and all that we do off campus as an overflow of your growing relationship with a loving God. Is everybody good with that? Listen, have you noticed that sheep play a significant role in the Bible. Here we have in Genesis chapter 4, we have uh, the sheep that was first presented to God. Even then pointed the sacrificial Lamb of God, who is Jesus. Then in Revelation, John sees the Lamb which has been slain, and he's standing near the throne of heaven. Jesus, the Lamb of God, has been sacrificed on our behalf. He gave his life so that we might be marked by something different. So what are the marks of the children of God? What are the marks of the ones who have given their heart and life to the Lord Jesus? What should they be? Well, the Bible says these three things remain. Faith, hope, and love. Faith covers all the heartache that sin causes. Faith, along with repentance, provides a relationship with the risen Lord, whereby hearts who are at one time filled with wickedness and sin are replaced with mercy and God's goodness. And then there's love that outshines hate. 
just as light outshines darkness. We're able to show Christ-like love and forgiveness because we've experienced it in Jesus. You know, we've looked in 1 John chapter 3, if you've noticed, we've looked at verse 10 and verse 12 because that's the, one of the chapters that talk about Cain and Abel. Verse 11 lets us know what was missing. Verse 11 of 1 John chapter 3 says this, For this is the message that you've heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Then again, in verse 12, it says, We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one, murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because of his own deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. So these are the marks. Faith, love, and hope. Hope takes care of the hopelessness we would have, separated from God. Instead, Jesus has replaced hopelessness and despair by saying to all true believers, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That part of a verse that's found actually in Hebrews, though Jesus tells us many times He's going to leave us, but that particular verse where Jesus says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. In the original, in the original language, that phrase has five antithetical negatives. Stay with me here. Meaning that Jesus says, I will never, no, never leave you, no way, no how, no time. Oh, it ought to give us hope. Maybe your life or your family is marked more by heartache, hatred, or hopelessness than by faith, hope, and love. Well, what should you do? Well, hopefully you've gotten the message by now. Don't be like Cain. Turn it over to Jesus. And then you will experience or you will be left the marks, the marks of faith to cover the heartache, the love to diminish the hate, and the hope to do away with the hopelessness. Let's bow together in prayer. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we come to you at this time recognizing that you want to continue to be at work in the lives and the hearts of everyone present here. We pray, Father, if there's one here that does not know you as Lord and Savior, that the invitation might be to follow you because you are the answer for eternity, your answer for today, and the answer for the family. Father, we pray also today that you might be able to help to put the marks on our heart and on our life that others can see of faith, love, and hope to cover over the marks of this world. We thank you, Father, for what you have done through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We thank you, Father, for the marks that he took on his body on our behalf. We thank you for the sacrifice that was made to give us true freedoms in Christ. Help us to follow you even more closely. In Christ's name we lift these prayers. Amen.